for digitalization to be effective, you need to have automation services that are working in the background to make that data usable. It then enables the user to make decisions on that data instead of looking for data to compile together. I don't know about you, but I feel like everywhere you look today, you can find someone talking about AI. AI-based tools are now available for just about every aspect of our lives, at home, in our studies, and at work. Yeah, and I think now that people are more familiar with what AI can, or more importantly, cannot do, it seems like the possibilities are endless. While this is exciting, I think a lot of people are also feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely. And for good reason. There's a big difference between a technology being available and implementing it in your day-to-day life. But I think it's similar to any new technology. There are both pros and cons. And at the end of the day, it can just feel really intimidating to get started if you aren't an expert. It certainly does feel like that sometimes. But the truth is, you don't really need to be an expert yourself to benefit from innovations like AI and automation in chemistry research. You just need to have one on your side. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Jesse. We're the hosts of The Analytical Wavelength, a podcast about chemistry and chemical data brought to you by ECD Labs. Today, we're chatting with Richard Lee. As the Director of Core Technologies, Richard is our resident expert when it comes to incorporating automation, data science, machine learning, and AI into chemistry research. He recently wrote an article with the analytical scientist where he laid out tips for making sure your digitalization efforts are successful. We wanted to talk to him a little bit about it so that he could share that wisdom with you as well. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, thanks. How are you? Doing well, doing well. So, Richard, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I want to start off with our question that we ask all of our guests, which is, what is your favorite chemical? Ooh, so many to choose from. Um, I'd have to say caffeine. I think for obvious reasons, I consume it on the daily, multiple times a day. <laughs> but it also uh, has a little bit of a, a special place. During my grad days, I used it as a, as kind of like a, a marker for a lot of my experiments. So I, I literally used it almost every day during my, my grad school days. I also use it almost every day during my grad school days. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, no, a big fan of the caffeine myself. I knew Jesse was going to like that answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's let's get into things then. Um, we're talking to you today about digitalization. Um, what is digitalization and why is it important for chemical data to be digitalized? Ah, good question. So at least when I speak of digitalization, it refers to having data in a format that can be accessed and shared by humans but also by machines as well. So that's, that's quite important. So that's a new element um, that we have to take into consideration. I guess in the chemistry world, it implies the, you know, the conversion of physical experiments into its digital equivalent. So providing some sort of chemical context to the analysis or the analytical data. For example, compiling a set of analytical data to represent an impurity profile of a drug substance or you have a set of analytical data uh, that represents the biotransformation map for a metabolism study. Analytical data doesn't, on its own, doesn't really provide enough uh, context to make decisions on, to enable decisions to be made. 
it requires some sort of contextualization, uh, a framework or reference uh, for that data. But it's not easy. There are a significant number of systems that handle chemistry-related data like ELNs and LIMS, uh, registration systems. You have vendors that have their own software. But the problem is that this type of data is proprietary to their own system. So it's not really accessible by uh, other systems. So for chemical data to be digitalized, it also means that the data needs to be uh, shareable or shared across systems or interoperable. But also, uh, when we talk about digitalization, there's one aspect that's really not spoken a lot about is uh, the need for automation services um, that are required, right? So, you know, I, I touched on uh, compiling data sets together. Um, and while, uh, you know, the scientist or the chemist in the lab can certainly uh, do that manually, it is labor intensive, right? Um, they can stitch the required information together, um, but it's really not that efficient. Um, so for digitalization to be really effective, uh, you need to have uh, automation services that are kind of working in the background to make that data usable. It then enables the user to make decisions on that data, right? Instead of looking for data to compile together. Okay. And so just to clarify, I think you touched on it, but you know, when scientists uh, see their data, they're seeing uh, it's digital, you know, it's, it's being displayed on a computer and pretty much all instruments and pieces of software nowadays use this data that I think most people would just consider digital. But the difference between that and what you're talking about is this kind of standardization piece that makes it readable by both machines and humans. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit. Yes, data is digital, right? So in a sense that it is encoded into a file. A PDF is a, is a digital file, right? You see it on a computer screen, like you said, but it has no dimensionality to it, right? It is a static picture. You can't do anything a lot with it. Uh, PowerPoint uh, is also another case. You know, it is a digital file. It could have images of your chemistry experiments, it has spectra and chromatograms as images, and in a sense, it is still digital. But data in these formats are uh, essentially dead ends. So meaning that you can't really do anything with the data, like you can't query against it, you can't access the, the spectra or chromatograms, right? So these types of formats are still widely used in organizations. Microsoft applications are ubiquitous, like across basically every business. Um, we use Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and it's easy access and users are familiar with it. But the data that's stored in these types of files are essentially dead for the chemist to use, right? They're, they're endpoints. Instruments acquire data on some sort of sample during its analysis. It represents, it's represented as bytes and can be unpacked to be visualized in a specific application but it is a, a singular data file. So it also has its advantages and disadvantages, like for you know, PowerPoint presentations or PDFs, you can compile data from many sources together, but into a static file or static image. Instruments uh, or data from instruments are far more uh, dynamic in the sense that, yes, you can look through that data. Uh, it is rich. Uh, you can 
interrogate that data, um, the scientists can reanalyze or reinterpret, but again, it's a single analysis. In most cases, if not all, uh, that data itself is locked to that proprietary data format, right? So the data itself can be queried and is far more useful uh, in a sense, but it's only useful if it lives in that vendor uh, environment, right? So the data is very much siloed into uh, separate systems. Yeah, and I imagine that really limits what you can end up doing with the data um, later on. Uh, you wrote recently about digitalization and the importance of it. And one of the points that you highlighted there as a tip was the importance of starting simple and starting small. So uh, what did you mean by that? And what does that look like? Speaking, actually, when speaking to a lot of uh, clients um, and organizations, those that are undertaking a digitalization effort or initiative, um, or those that are uh, in that process right now, um, it seems like more often than not, uh, they do have a very grand overall uh, vision of their data transition. They have general ideas of what their system should ultimately do, you know, and they will often use the latest technology or ask about the latest technology. Uh, certain buzzwords are used, but what I really think is it's missing uh, the task of being able to break it down into smaller data flows, right? They have a grand vision, but you can't boil the ocean. Uh, so sometimes clients are stuck or paralyzed because they don't know uh, where or how to start. Sometimes organizations are waiting for technology that is not yet available in their management systems. Um, and they think that by waiting, this new technology will satisfy their needs somehow, right? Uh, and again, further delaying their digitalization efforts. Um, for us, to start simple, you really want to look for data flows or workflows um, that would benefit from analytical data management. So that might be uh, that might be an obvious statement, but it's true. So you want to look at a data flow where um, you know where automation can fit in. Pick instruments or data sources that are creating a lot of data where you are currently doing a lot of manual processing or processes, either transferring that data, moving that data from one location to another, a lot of routine data processing um, or routine report generation. So look for those types of workflows and that's where you'll get your, your most simple start to your digitalization effort. Yeah, that sounds about right. What is it they say the the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and I think another important thing that you wrote about in the article, especially when you are breaking down this overall goal of digitalization into smaller tasks, is that you need to consider the needs of data scientists and not just the needs of the experimental scientist. How do the needs of those two personas differ? So I guess when we talk about a scientist or, or chemist in the lab, you know, we often envision them acquiring data from specialized instruments, analyzing or interpreting the data on expert applications, right? Uh, chromatograms, spectra, and any other um, measurement instrument. But now organizations want to leverage this data that's being generated and glean insights to their experiments. And right now, that technology is available. So they're using more business intelligence 
type applications, machine learning frameworks to gain some insights to their experiments um, as a whole. Um, these organizations are attempting to leverage uh, BI or ML frameworks uh, for predictive sciences, right? Uh, or at minimum, uh, they want to provide additional guidance to the scientists, right? So provide them with uh, direction in terms of what synthetic route to go based on previous previous knowledge. But these types of experiments, uh, these types of applications, sorry, uh, can't use the raw data or uh, the process spectra or chromatograms as the, the chemist would, right? The data that's required needs to be in a different format. And it's often that the data is abstracted from the interpretation of the analytical data. In addition, the abstracted data also needs to have some sort of chemical context to it, right? For data for data to be useful in these cases, uh, data scientists, they need access to the abstracted data in a format that is amendable for BI, uh, machine learning, or artificial intelligence applications. So for, for these people, or for this group, or data scientists, they require different tools, right, from applications and systems. As I mentioned, they need abstracted data, so they need the appropriate tools to perform data mining, right? Whereas the uh, chemist or scientist, they will be at a computer, they have a fully, uh, very rich interface that can interact with chromatograms and spectra, they can interpret, zoom in on spectra, integrate peaks, etc. But data scientist needs are, are very different. So for them, because they need access to the abstracted data, we need to have tools that will enable them to pull specific information from the analytical data in a specified format, right? Um, and the data needs to be curated before they can do this. So some of the tools that they require are API, so application programming interfaces, as an example. So these tools are designed specifically for data scientists to access data content. So, you know, touching on curated data, as I mentioned, because analytical data comes in a variety of vendors and formats, the metadata needs to be associated with analytical data will be quite different. Uh, but in order for these types of applications like BI or machine learning to consume that data, it has to be I guess there has to be uniformity to that metadata, right? So these applications need to understand that incoming data will need to be uniform, be standardized, uh, and then it can be consumed. Otherwise that data itself would be kind of useless. So we need tools in place for the data scientists to, to make that standardization and uh, uniformity so that all the data that is being fed into uh, these BI or machine learning frameworks uh, can be used effectively. This relates to another one of the points that you made in your piece about having the future in mind when you're setting up these systems. Was that about having that future state in mind, like the goal that you're trying to get to, or is that about forward compatibility or maybe a little bit of both? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. So when you start out on your, on your digitalization journey um, and you are trying to determine how to start, you know, um, we touched on, you know, choosing your specific workflow or a basic workflow. Think about how the chosen workflow can cross pollinate into others, right? 
So how can you scale up your, your data flow um, that's already been deployed? And how can we apply that to other areas? Uh, it's always keeping in mind, how can we reuse what we already have, right? So you're not starting from scratch. That's something that um, we always try to encourage our you know, customers or clients or organizations that we work with uh, to consider. And we try and identify uh, as many of those common elements. So then, you know, when we do scale up with, because there are more, more instruments that are being used or there are more personnel using those types of instruments that we can scale accordingly. Okay. That makes sense. And uh, another tip that you suggested was to consider our visualization needs. Um, I'm curious as to what what you are talking about with respect to visualization needs and why is that important? When we engage with organizations, you know, we have the, the scientists that are going to be the consumers of that data. Uh, we have to consider the IT infrastructure, right, personnel that are responsible for um, essentially the backend um, subsystem support. More often than not, the scientists, their needs are sometimes not as obvious or not um, as voiced um, during these uh, during these projects. Um, but ultimately, they will be the ones using these systems. So there are there could be cases where you know the system is very well elegantly designed in terms of uh, an IT infrastructure. It's very efficient. It does exactly what it needs, getting data from one place to another, doing all these uh, inter or intermediate processes. But at the end of the day, if the scientists can't see that data or access that data, it still won't be useful for them. And that system itself won't, won't be used at all. So we really have to keep in mind what is the scientist going to do and how do they want to see that data um, and access that data because um, they are the important ones. They are the ones that are going to be making decisions based on results that they are able to visualize, interrogate their data, reanalyze uh, their data. Uh, so that's something very much uh, to keep in mind. This actually almost reminds me of preparing food. It's not worth the gathering the ingredients and preparing things if the person that you're serving to is right, exactly. eat it. So the interesting parallel. So ACD Labs helps out a lot of companies with their analytical data management needs, and that often involves the use of the Spectrus platform, which is something that you're obviously very familiar with. Um, so how exactly does this technology help people out? Sure. Um... So having data in a, in a singular format is, I think, critical for uh, any type of analytical data management uh, solution uh, or system. Um, for us, being vendor agnostic, it allows us to consume raw or processed data right, across any of the major vendors and across a, a variety of analytical techniques uh, into a single format uh, while we retain its full, um, I guess, uh, data fidelity, meaning that um, it is a true one-for-one -one copy of that raw data that's been acquired off an instrument. So homogenization of data affords a significant number of advantages. Um, single system where chemists can access the data right, on demand. So they can do this without the need of going back to the originating data. Right? Uh, it's all in one place. Uh, they can access 
uh, that data from, uh, they have a single system where the data is located. Uh, the Spectrus platform also, uh, more importantly, enables uh, the addition of chemical context to the analog data. Right? So not just chemical structures that can be added, which we've been doing for a number of years, uh, but we can also compile that data into studies. So associating related data together and to really tell a story of that experiment. So data or these studies uh, in themselves can be queried, right? We have a very strong um, databasing end um, that can be uh, queried through metadata, uh, through various chemical structure queries, spectral queries, uh, and the like. Uh, but I want to also acknowledge that uh, we are one piece of the IT ecosystem. Um, we handle analytical data very well, right? And I think we do it the best uh, in the business, but we are a piece of the digitalization ecosystem in an organization, right? So no system can do it all. And, but for systems to be useful, they need to have the ability to, to integrate well with one another. Uh, so in that regard, we have uh, several different mechanisms in place for integration into other applications or other systems, and then for others to access our data in our environment. So this is uh, especially important for data to be used downstream in data science related activities. Okay, great. That was a lot of super helpful information. Are there any other thoughts that you want to mention for anyone considering how to level up their analytical data management and maybe how they can get started if they haven't yet? Um, I think you just have to start. You can't wait. Uh, you can plan for as long as you'd like, but then you are just delaying the inevitable. You know, you really have to start somewhere. And if you are not sure how to design your system or can't uh, exactly pinpoint on where to start or how to start, you know, they can always come to ACD Labs and we can always help them uh, along that journey. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Richard. It's uh, been a pleasure having you. No problem. Thanks, you guys. Great being on. Well, all I have to say is it's a good thing there are experts like Richard out there to help make AI and other technologies a reality for scientific organizations. You can say that again. If you want to read the five tips for digitalizing analytical chemistry data that Richard shared with the analytical scientists, there's a link in the show notes to the article. And if you're looking for guidance at any stage of your digitalization journey, ACT Labs experts like Richard are always happy to help. Visit our website to learn more about our software solutions and consultation offerings to help you reach your digitalization, automation, and innovation goals. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget to subscribe to the Analytical Wavelength so you never miss an episode. The Analytical Wavelength is brought to you by ACD Labs. We create software to help scientists make the most of their analytical data by predicting molecular properties and by organizing and analyzing their experimental results. To learn more, please visit us at www.acdlabs.com.